Today's scripture is from 1 Samuel 18, 1b to 4. Soon, David and Jonathan became best friends. Jonathan thought as much of David as he did of himself. From that time on, Saul kept David in his service and would not let David go back to his own family. Jonathan liked David so much that they promised to always be loyal friends. Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David. He also gave him his military clothes, his sword, his bow and arrows, and his belt. The word of the Lord. morning, everyone. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for an opportunity to, uh, to meet together, Lord God. We thank you for the privilege to be able to worship and praise you, Lord God. We thank you also for your word and, and, and the fact that we get to actually go before you and hear directly from you, God. We thank you for the fact that you've called us friends because we actually get to know you. We actually get to have an intimate relationship with you. And I pray, Lord God, that we would just continue to seek you out in our day-to-day life. Lord, I just pray for the message this morning that uh, everything of you would be what sticks with us, Lord God. And that anything that is just of myself here as I prepared would just fall away, Lord God, but that your Holy Spirit would come, that it would be the one planting the seeds in our heart from this message, Lord God, and that it would take hold and take fruit in our life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, For those of you who I have not had a chance to meet yet, uh, my name is Quinn. I am the pastor of youth here uh, and student ministries was kind of looking after that. I've really only been here for not not even that long. It's been like just a month and a little bit here. Uh, So I I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak this morning and uh, and I'm really excited to just prepare and uh, to prepare the message and to be able to share that with you. It it was kind of funny because over the last little bit we've been looking at this this core strength series um, and, and what's kind of funny, for me at least, is as uh, Pastor Ken and, and even Pastor Norbaz, they were kind of doing these messages, I, I suddenly saw this transition because we were talking about the, this famous section of Scripture where Jesus is asked, what is the most important law in, in the Scripture? Like, what is the most important thing to hold to? And Jesus, Jesus sees this passage, the, this question, and he sees it as what it is. It's a trap. Because all of the passages, all the laws are important. But this, this, this Pharisee is trying to trap him and say, what's the one most important one? So that way if he says something, he, he, the Pharisee could trap him and say, actually, it's this. And so Jesus responds to him by saying, the most important is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And what's funny to me is, is as we've been transitioning from that first part into, into the second part, uh, and this was not planned at all, was in youth, we've actually been talking about friendship this whole last month. 
That's all we've been focusing on is our series called Finding Friendship, or Finding Friends, excuse me, and, uh, and which is like kind of looking at Finding Nemo and kind of pairing it together. And so if you like that, then that's great. <laughs> you're, you're attracted with me and you know the name, but if you don't, that's okay. You should probably go see it. It's a great movie, um, but that's okay if you have it. It's all right. Um, so yeah, today to be able to talk about friendship and, and to talk about real friendship uh, just really paired nicely with that. And so I just want to dive right in and and actually tell you this story. And you've probably all heard this story before, but I just want you to follow along with me and uh, and just really try to imagine this because I want to put ourselves in the shoes of what's taking place in this story. You see, there was this battle which just took place. It's the one that the army is still celebrating, for the army is actually on their journey back home. It's their, their return home for the first time since the war. And they know that this battle will go down into history. They can barely believe it themselves, and yet they saw it happen. This giant of a man was standing before them, bellowing out his daily call. Oh yes, it's, it's been days since it first started. His calling was less an invitation, for his demand was for a single combat. A call for a man from one army to face off against a man from the other. A contest of whose army was better than the other. A battle for one man to decide the fate of the opposing army. For whoever produced a better warrior and a victor for the match, that army would win the battle and the war. And their prize would be the surrender of the opposing army army. The army that sent this man out day after day was the Philistines. And as for this one-on-one contest, they didn't actually do it out of mercy. They did it out of arrogance. For they knew no man could compare to their champion, the man they called and they chanted, Goliath, 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 the champion of the Philistines. The nickname stuck, and he even called himself such. This challenge was not just about a battle, a contest between armies. It was more to the point whose God was legit and whose was a feeble God. Let's pause for a moment, because we all know how the story of David and Goliath goes. We know how the battle ends. We know from the reading and the hearing of this tale. But man, how different. This army that we're talking about, they lived it. We all know how it ends, but these men, they were in the thick of it. They were cowering in fear for all they knew. This man that towered over the rest could crush even the mightiest of their allies. Did you hear? It was actually even rumored that King Saul was hiding in his tent. The man of all men, the men they even elected and chose to be king. The one that they thought was going to be better than the rest because he was strong, he was able, and and man, he could crush anyone. But even King Saul was was cowering and hiding in his tent. So the rest of the army? Well, behind their makeshift palisades, they, they cover, they hide, hoping and praying it would not be them their commander calls to face the giant, to face their death. So day after day they fear, and a week goes by, and then another, and then another, and another. Until a month passes. 
The armies on either side are getting restless. Who is going to make the first move for the Philistines already have? They've placed their champion before, and, and they're not going to do anything else because they know their ace in the hole is Goliath, for he's never lost a match. But if a battle were to ensue, and many Philistines maybe championed after him and, and ran after Goliath, well, maybe he'd be taken out. And that wouldn't do. So they just wait. They send Goliath day after day. And, and, and after that month passes, in enters out of nowhere, out, out of left field, a, smar, a small farm boy, a nobody from Bethlehem. He sees his friends and, and his brothers and a whole lot of men cowering before the challenge of the Goliath. His spirit begins to stir as he hears the challenge. For he knows no man who challenges and insults the Israelites, God's chosen people, should live. Especially when they're actually insulting the living God. So David's mind, as a boy, is made up. If no man will answer his call to battle, he, a boy, will. And we know how the rest plays out. David takes the stage. He goes face to face against Goliath with a mere sling. And to everyone's surprise in the Israelites' joy, he slays him with one small river stone. Moments ago, chanting, cheering, and ridiculing, the Philistine army now drops all noise. There's an ill silence over the army as Goliath tumbles and falls. Their breath is caught in their throat. How could Goliath fail? How could he lose to a mere boy? That second of silence, which feels like a day, breaks. And the army of the Israelites charge. Victory is theirs, won by a mere boy. That's the army that we're talking about here in this passage of Scripture that we're going to get to. And, and, and Saul, like I said, he was hiding in the background. And yet Saul, the, the, the king, sees a mere boy take center stage. Sees this boy that he probably heard rumors about. Why? Because this boy was actually anointed to be the next king. And that's his job. That's his role. But the army, they're celebrating this victory. And even Saul was actually happy about the victory, but definitely not happy who won it. So let's pick up in our, our scripture today in 1 Samuel 18. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn there, I'd encourage you to do that. But if you don't, that's completely okay. They're going uh, to be on the screen here behind me in a second. I, I wanted to set the stage so you understand why this army is so excited and why Saul, as we're about to read about, is actually really sour. This was a monumental thing which just put, took place. The thing of legends. And as we're about to read, it, and, and I'm going to summarize, it, it's, it's briefly mentioned, this battle. Because in the verses beforehand, that's where it's all laid out. That's where it's all talked about. But we're not going to read that today because I just did that for you. So for, for Samuel 18, verse 6, let's read it together. David had killed Goliath. The battle was over. And the Israelite army set out for home. 
As the army went along, women came out of each Israelite town to welcome King Saul. They were singing happy songs and dancing to the music of tambourines. They sang, Saul has killed a thousand enemies. David has killed ten thousand enemies. This song made Saul very angry. And he thought they were saying, David has killed ten times more enemies than I ever did. Next, they will want to make him king. Saul never again trusted David. The scriptures continue over the next little bit here, and they set the scene for today's message. David actually gets taken into King Saul's house to to kind of serve him. Because what a better way to keep an eye on someone than to actually have him near you, right? Keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. So this is what, David, or what Saul does. Saul, throughout this whole time, is actually very distrusting of David. He thinks he's gunning for his job, or at the very least, that other people are actually wanting him to have his job. And so this is what Saul is stewing on. I'm going to summarize the next little bit here, uh, but we're going to find out that Saul is a real winner <laughs> throughout the next little bit of Scripture. Uh, David is just there to serve his king to actually, like, just honor him and, and to just do whatever is asked of him. He actually see the, sees that Saul is stressed, and David's a musician. And, and so he just goes and plays music, hoping that it's actually just going to calm him down, that it's just going to relax him, that's going to help him de-stress. And, and I don't know, is there any, like, musicians that, like, you play music, and you're in a band or something like that, maybe you, you go around and actually play? Uh, I, don't, I don't really know what you charge uh, for payment, for doing kind of like a, like a house show or something like that. Um, but Saul decides it's, it's a really good payment to throw a spear right at David. And, and not even just one spear, but two directly aimed at his head. Not, not the best payment, I imagine. Eh, probably, no? Okay. But it, it, it's really not. David is like horrified. So he dodges, ducks and dives, and, and dodges like a dodgeball pro to get out of the room as quick as possible. And then Saul tries again just to keep doing thing after thing to either kill David or to trap him or just to kind of spy on him. And so Saul does something again. Saul sees David and and maybe David is kind of giving googly eyes to his daughter or something. Um, But but Saul notices that he's noticing Michal, uh, Saul's daughter. And so Saul gets David married to his daughter. But it's, it's, it's all a ploy just to have eyes and ears on David. But they actually do fall in love. They, they actually love each other. And, and out of that relationship, they become a couple. They, they really stick close together. A couple who is sacrificially loving one another. Giving stuff up for one another. Putting one another first in their marriage and in their relationship. And, and throughout this whole time, the Bible says that, that the Lord was looking over David. And I mean, that's pretty clear as to what I just talked about and what we just read. We see that, that God is just protecting him, that he's just looking over him. And the reason for that is, you see, when, when, when you act upon what God is calling you to do, he, he grants you success in the mission given. He looks after you and protects you. He, he keeps you safe during dangerous times. He holds you up and sustains you. Even when you should, by all human reality, be, be drying up, by giving up hope, actually losing sight of the mission. And uh, it's interesting that, uh, that we even already talked about it this morning, but we could see this 
that God protects us and looks after us in, in church history. And uh, it, it's incredible. There, hopefully you've heard of the Reformation, and if not, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. We've already talked about it earlier this morning. Um, but we're going to look at Martin Luther's story here just briefly. He is the seminal figure in the Reformation, which t- today is actually Reformation Sunday. The Reformation saw a change in the way the church was headed. It, it was becoming corrupt, and, and, and the Reformation began by Martin Luther. On October 31st, 1517, 500 years ago, Luther changed the course of human history when he nailed his 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg, accusing the Roman Catholic Church of multiple heresies. It was this step, this pivotal moment, which led to the recovery of the priesthood of believers, which means every individual has direct access to God without ecclesiastical mediation, which means you don't need a pastor or a priest to pray or interact with God or or to have your sins forgiven. Why? Because Jesus has already done that. Jesus is our mediator. He's, he's our high priest. He goes before us to God. We don't need ourselves or anyone else to do that. And, and, and with that priesthood of believers, each and every single one of us, we share the responsibility of ministering to one another as members of a community of believers. This is an important part of friendship, not just our faith, of being friends to one another. We need to be constantly loving one another, of encouraging one another in our faith, of of pushing to actually be better, to be more like Jesus in our life. And we all share that responsibility. Let's go back to Luther's story quickly. The Pope Leo, after after Luther had nailed his, his theses to that door, pronounced him a heretic. Yet Luther refused to recant his views before the Diet of Worms, which was like a council. And, and he stated at that specific council, in defense of himself, he, he said this quote, which is pretty cool. Unless I'm convinced by proofs from scripture or by plain and clear reasons and arguments, I can and will not retract, for it is neither safe nor wise to do anything against my conscience. Here I stand, I can do no other. God, help me. It was shortly after that his life was in danger, the emperor had declared Luther an outlaw, which meant everyone was given the opportunity to kill him, and and they would be rewarded for doing so, not punished. And I say all this because I want you to understand, when God calls us to do something, it will cost us something our safety our time our energy it will cost us something of ourselves following god is not easy but it's so worth doing for so many reasons i mean anything in life that is worth doing is generally hard to do it costs us something but in the end or even in the middle sometimes it's worth it Let's go back to our story about David and Jonathan. I want to go to the crux of today's message because the message isn't about the army. It isn't about anything else. I wanted to set that up so that you understand why Saul is so mad at David and why Jonathan turns out to be an amazing friend, a a real friend to David. The backdrop is set. We're going to be talking about friendships and, and in particular how we are to love our neighbor as ourselves and the importance of friendships. Friendships are so important, even to God. And we're going to see that a little bit here as well. Well, let's go into the next chapter of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 19, 1 to 6. 
One day Saul told his son Jonathan and his officers to kill David. But Jonathan liked David a lot. And he warned David, my father is trying to have you killed. So be very careful. Hide in a field tomorrow morning and I'll bring him there. Then I'll talk to him about you. And if I find out anything, I'll let you know. The next morning, Jonathan reminded Saul about the many good things that David had done for him. Then he said, why do you want to kill David? He hasn't done anything to you. He's even risked, he's even served in your army and has always done what's best for you. He even risked his life to kill Goliath. The Lord helped Israel win a great victory that day and it made you happy. Saul agreed and promised, I swear by the living Lord that I won't have David killed. Awesome. End of story. We're done. No. It keeps going. Saul continues to try to go after David, even after making promises, even after recanting and, and swearing before God that he won't. He breaks that, and he continues to seek after David, continuing trying to kill him. And it's through these interactions between Saul and David that Jonathan steps up in big ways, and that, me, uh, that Michael, that, that his wife, steps up in, uh, in big ways as well. And they were real friends to David. They displayed never-ending support and love for David. Not only this, but they sacrifice for their friend. They step in and actively intercede for their friend. Saul, at one point in this crazy story, makes up his mind to try and kill David. Jonathan hears about this and tells David. And then David goes home and tells his wife about this. And, and, and his wife's like, dude, what are you doing here still? Like, why are you still here? Get out of here. And, and David, I don't know, being arrogant or something, is like, no, I'm good. And Mikael's like, no, 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 you, you need to get out. The Bible says that Mikael forces David out of the house, forces him to leave and actually go and hide. Friends take care of us even when we don't need or think, rather, that we need to be taken care of. Mikael actively does her best to prevent her dad and his army from finding David. This, this story about them protecting David doesn't even just happen once or, or twice it happens again and again throughout these following passages of Scripture. Michal even goes so far after, after she kicks out David to go to the bed that they shared and, and, and create this, like, doll of David's form to really see if Saul was actually going to kill him. And sure enough, that's what he tries to do. It's crazy the way that they love their friend. It's crazy the way they go to all these lengths just to protect David, to look after them. Jonathan and Michal, they fought for David. They argued with their dad. And I mean, that, oh, that's a tough place to be, to fight with your dad for him to love or care for someone that you love or care for. Especially when, when he just has this preconceived notion of them. I feel like in the world today, that's, that's something that is being lost or is something that is in danger today. The, the importance of friendship, the love that actually needs to be recovered in our friendships. And finally, the sacrificial nature of friends. Friendship is something that, I mean, it, it doesn't take a genius. It's still important in the world today. It's still important for you. It's still important for your neighbor. It, it's important for everyone. Everyone values friendship. But I think that nature part of friendship is something that is being lost. 
friendships where you understand that you need to actually love your friend. And that loving means putting them before yourself. And another part is just that sacrificial nature of being willing to actually sacrifice out of yourself, out of your time, out of your energy for your friends. Some th- friendships have become almost like competitive. I'm going to do better than you. I- I'm going I'm to outshine you. I'm going to brag about the stuff or the things or, or the time or the money or whatever that I have in front of you. Friends have been competitive in the way that sometimes people use friendships to get somewhere, to do something, to accomplish something. They see friendship as a means to an end rather than that the friendship is what we need. Friendships sometimes can become inconvenient because our friends actually need time from us. Our friendships require energy and effort and we don't really necessarily want to put in that time, especially after a long day. And yet, that sacrificial part of giving of our stuff, our time, our energy, our effort, is a part of what defines friendship. It's seeing someone as equal to or better than yourself and and desiring for the betterment of that person. Jesus actually has something incredible to say about friendship. Let's turn there as well. Uh, It's going to be John 15, verse 12 to 15, if you want to write it down, or again, if you want to turn there. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. John 15, 12 to 15. Now I tell you to love each other as I have loved you. The greatest way to show love for friends is to die for them. And you are my friends if you don't, sorry, you are my friends if you obey me. Servants don't know what their master is doing. And so I don't speak to you as servants. I speak to you as my friends. Jesus is calling us his friends. I have told you everything that my father has told me. Jesus gives us an amazing description of friendship, but not even just that. He, he describes it as that a friend should love their friend and be willing to sacrifice for their friend, even to the point of laying down their life for their friend. What an amazing description of friendship. I can only imagine the type of friends that we would do that for. They would have to be the nearest and dearest, those closest of friends who who do everything right for us, that things just click, that we're not actually, our relationship isn't fractured at the moment. Those are the types of friendships that I think maybe, 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 maybe that I would be able to lay down my life for. But in the same time, Jesus says that he, that's his description of friendship. And he did that for us Not when we were close friends, not when we were buddy-buddy, not when we loved him, but rather when we actually were away from him, when our relationship with him was fractured, when, when we weren't loving him. Jesus gives us a description of friendship. And not only does he describe it, he does it, he shows it, and and he explains to us that when it comes to love and friendships, it's not just something we talk about or, or things that we say about how much we love our friends. It's stuff that we actually act upon, things that we must do. And when we talk about love, we as Christians are actually called to be known as people, known for our love, known by our love. And that should be the defining verb that comes to everyone's mind as soon as they think about Christians or as soon as they hear that we're a Christian. And let's be honest, when, when people talk about Christians in the world, it is not a defining verb. I think there's a lot of other verbs that they use to describe Christians very often. But it's not love sometimes. And more often than not, it's definitely not love. 
It's probably the opposite, unfortunately. And I think that is something we need to reclaim. We need to set this world ablaze with our love, with us reaching out to the world, to hurting people. And man, we don't even need to look far or hard to find hurting people, do we? There are so many hurting people in the world. We need to reach out to them in love. There are people close around us, near us even today, that are desperately needing a friend. And as Christians who should be known for love, we need to be actively seeking these people out. So let's look for those people. Let's have an attitude that is just constantly befriending and loving those around us. Let's mirror Jonathan's character and just love with everything that we have to the point, as as Leanne read earlier, of giving of ourselves, of just sacrificing out of what we have of giving him, and and Jonathan gave him a few different things. He gave him his robe, his military clothes, his sword, his bow, his arrows, his belt, all these things. And that right there, all those things, a lot of that is his military clothing, a symbolic gesture of his rank and his status. He didn't look like the rest of the army as they went to battle. He looked different. He looked like a prince among those other soldiers. He, He was easily recognized as the prince He stood out as being someone different because he wore fancy clothing. He had the best-looking stuff. And Jonathan gave of that stuff to David. So let's model that. Let's give up our status. Let's push past trying to fit or be some type of mold that the world is trying to show us. Let's rather look at the mold of Jesus that he has asked us to meet. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And to love with just all that we have. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. To, to actually see them as us. To, to be willing to sacrifice for them. To love them. And like I said, it's going to cost us stuff. It's going to take time and energy out of our busy day. And honestly, guys, that's what I struggle with sometimes. When I have my free time, the last thing I want to do is is do something for someone else. I want to just hold up and and just do something that's going to give me energy, that's going to build back into me. The last thing I want to do is pick something up off the floor or just to go out of my way to help someone. I'd rather be selfish. But that's not what God is calling us to do. And that's not what's going to make a difference in this world. This world needs Jesus. And we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus into the world. Martin Luther actually took a risk and stood out as being someone who was going to make a change in the world for God's kingdom. And, and we as Christians, we need to be that change in the world. We need to make a difference in our community. Can you imagine if we became a people who were just willing to serve and love our community and neighbors? Us here in Trewilliger, if we gave of our time, our energy, out of everything that we have, if we just gave it up, gave up presenting ourselves as a certain ideal and just said to Trewilliger, hey, with our action, just said, hey, we want to love you. We want to serve you. We want to tell you about this God who created us, who loved us enough to give uh, himself up to rescue us from a place of despair and hell-boundness to offer us life and life to the full. I mean, that's the kind of Jesus that we serve. That's the kind of God that we have in our life. And we should be acting that out. Can you imagine if we as TCC actually did that? I I think Edmonton, never mind Terwilliger, would be changed. So let's give up 
time. Let's give up energy. Let's actually sacrifice much the same like Jesus did. Jesus gave up himself. He stepped down from his throne, his rightful and due place of glory, so that he might serve God, and through serving God, serve humanity to restore our relationship with God. Let's love sacrificially, much like Jonathan and, Mi- and Michal did as they stood in the gap for David before Saul, his father, placing their position and their good standing with their dad on the line, willing to just lose it all. Why? Because their friend needed help. Their friend needed just that, a friend. So I want to encourage you as I end today's message, just that. Let's be friends to people around us. Let's look for those, who, those people who actually desperately need friends. Let's recover the true nature of friendship in our life, that, that love that needs to be there, that sacrificial nature of friendship. Let's encourage one another in our faith and hold them up. Let's do that this morning, eh? And let's do that for, throughout our week and throughout our month and throughout our year. Throughout, let's do it throughout our life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.